Good evening. And welcome to the Talk It Out podcast. My name is Neil Bailey Harper, and tonight I conclude the corner store. July 5th, 1977. As I told you, oh, the music I'm listening to comes from the OJ's Philadelphia's own 1972 album entitled Backstabbers. This is the title track. And as I told you in episode two, I developed a system. After working in this store for eight years, seven years, and asking these gentlemen who I worked for and did everything for, for a loan to go to college or for some money to go to college with and haven't been told no. My senior year in high school, I developed a system. Since I was the one primarily responsible for ringing up sales, cash, the cash register, counting the daily receipts, balancing the daily receipts, because these guys were out drinking and having fun and whatever, I decided to come up with a system to take care of me. I made $135 every week. Can't count the number of hours I worked. Had to be at least 40. But $135 in cash I got paid on Saturday. Well, I supplemented that with $40 to $50 to $55 every week. From January of 1976 until I went to college. I had a little bit of money by the time I went to college. I was able to buy me some clothes. And I did not see the college I wanted to go to. I did not see the college I was attending until the day I registered to get there. To register to stay there. I got accepted at Morgan State, Howard University, Hampton University, and North Carolina Central University. And I chose North Carolina Central University for three reasons. Number one, I had an aunt that lived in Burlington, North Carolina. So I had somebody close by. Number two, it was the farthest away from home. And number three, it had a nice long name that sounded cool. I tried to get in the University of Penn, but I was unlikely to do that. That was their assessment of me, even though I was an honor student in high school. So I went to North Carolina Central University. And again, I saw the school the day I registered and moved in. Um, when I got there, I realized the one difference, put it this way, I love Philadelphia, but North Philadelphia had a, if I put a color on it, I would say it was gray. There were good days. There were a lot of good days with a lot of good people, but the area just had a gray feel to it. And all of a sudden I'm landed in Durham, North Carolina, and everything is green. Everything was green. There was grass everywhere. That's what I remember about spending summers in Burlington. Just grass. People being nice. Or just acting like they were nice. So when I got to college, it was it was great. And the other thing, in Philadelphia, I was a member of Freedom Theater. I was a member of the all-city orchestras playing the tuba and the saxophone and did so much in the arts. But there were so many people in Philadelphia doing exactly what I was doing and was just as good at it, if not better at it, than I was. That wasn't the case in North Carolina. 
it was it just wasn't that many people. And things I would be able to try in North Carolina, many people were trying the same thing in Philadelphia. There was a cartoon about two sheepdogs, Fred and Sam, where Wiley Coyote, Wiley Coyote used to try to steal the sheep, thinking they weren't watching, and they always caught him. When I got to Central, there was a science building right in the middle of campus. And I remember sitting on the steps in that science building thinking, this is what Fred and Sam must feel like. There were so many pretty people here. So many beautiful women there. And I was there. And I was going to school. And I was smart, so I was competent. But I was also having fun. Until in March, when in preparation to go on the tour with a nationally renowned touring group that my university was famously known for, I pledged a social fellowship. And during that pledging, one night at 2.30 in the morning, I decided to go up to the room, fifth floor dorm room, of a young lady who I liked who was assisting me. And when I knocked on her door, her roommate answered the door, and her and her roommate did not get along. And she wasn't in the room, but her roommate went to get her. And when she brought her back, instead of coming back with her, she came back with campus security. I looked out the window and I'm scared of heights and I realized I was on the fifth floor and I was not jumping. So they took me down out of the dorm. Now, in 1977-76, being in a women's dorm in North Carolina was against school policy. So I was eh, expelled. I had to go back to Philadelphia. But here's the one thing I do remember. When I went back to Philadelphia, I remember saying to myself, I'm going back to North Carolina. I had left the city. I knew I had to come back, but I had already registered by the time I was coming back to go to summer school, which began on July 7th. So I was leaving on Saturday, July 5th, 1977. But now it was March and I had to go back. So I'm back in the store. And maybe I didn't see it. Or maybe just being away and coming back and seeing it up close and personal. I realized how things were changing. And how things were spiraling in a way that wasn't good. The music I'm listening to now comes from the OJs. Their single release in 1973 called For the Love of Money. Um, I realized that the store had been robbed again in my absence in North Carolina. And how it just seemed like the owner and his friends were just spiraling a little out of control. The neighborhood was changing again. Um, There was more than just commerce coming through that store now. But I went back and I worked again from March until July and my system my system was still in place so I ran my system because now I'm grown I'm 18 they loved the fact that I was back they could take off again they never talked to me about college or what I was doing they were just glad I was back So they could get out. 
And I was glad I could make some money. So I guess I was, while I was there, again, I had the blessing to be involved in something that kept me from being involved in something else. So I worked the store. I worked the store in March, April, May, June. But I was getting ready to get out. So with my little extra system earnings, I bought some new clothes. I actually um, bought some records. I bought a lot of different stuff. I helped my family. And I decided that July 5th, that next day, I was getting on a bus. Because then I took trailways back and forth to school. Seven hours. But you get on the bus and you don't get off. It was cool. And if I wanted to take weed with me, I could. Right on the bus. Things were different at that time. But I'm building up to July 5th, 1977, ready, because I'm ready to go back to North Carolina. Well, the last month, they decided to hang out more and more. Knowing that after July 5th, they had to be confined to the store. I did not like the environment when I got back. I liked the money, but I did not like the environment. The neighborhood, there were people in the neighborhood I didn't know. People coming through the neighborhood that weren't about the neighborhood. And all of this came to a head on Saturday, July 5th, 1977. I remember Junie in the walk-in cooler that I talked about. I called it a freezer, but it was really a cooler. Because it didn't freeze things, but it was like a refrigerator, a giant refrigerator that you could walk in. And I'm working the cash register and Junie's working the meat counter. Now, I got paid that morning my $135 and I took it home at my lunch break, had my deli sandwich with my quarter orange juice, and I came back about 1.30. When I came back, the boys are ready to go. They all decided, let's hang out one last time. Let's get out of here. And they went to the neighborhood bars. There were several in our neighborhood. I kind of knew the one they frequented, but there were several bars to go to in our neighborhood. So, I have the cash register in front of me. Directly behind me is a 19-inch television watching Another World. Junie's behind the meat counter. There are six customers in the store, including Miss High, who is one of my favorite customers. And her kids were my friends. When all of a sudden, the door gets kicked in. Not to where it fell off, but where it opened up. And behind it, I remember two guys. One was slim and light-skinned, but I don't remember him as much as I remember the slim, brown-skinned guy with the one-inch afro, because he is the one that had the rifle in his hand. The rifle in his unsteady, shaking hands. And I remember looking at him, and my very first thought was, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? And my second thought was to kind of stand up, to kind of brace myself. as Because I felt like I was getting ready to learn what a bullet would feel like. At the same time, I seriously remember saying to myself, God damn, I'm going to be a statistic. 
black kid on his way back to college gets killed on his last day of work. That's how that shit always plays. That's the only way we made the news at that time. All of these thoughts slow motion in my mind while this guy's on the other side of the, the counter scaring the shit out of all the women customers, pointing a rifle directly at me, saying, give me all the fucking money. I opened the register. I immediately pulled out the cash. He said, I want the change too. I immediately grabbed all the change and threw it in the same little bag I was throwing the cash in. Now, back then those NCR registers had a little slot where if you pulled a bill off of it, it was an alarm, a silent alarm. So all I had to do was pull, pull the bills off of that, and that was supposed to loca, uh, that was supposed to um, signal to the local police that we're being robbed, and they would come to the store. I pulled the bills out. I gave him all the money. He stood over there and his friend, and they looked at me. And I honestly didn't think anybody was going to be shot because there were so many people in the store. There might have been five or six people there, including a small child or two. And I said, if they shoot one of us, they got to shoot us all. So I didn't think that anybody was going to be shot. But I do remember this. I remember the guy looking at me, the skinny brown skinned one with the one inch afro, looking at me with the rifle in his hand. And he pointed at me, he said, come around here. I want you to lay down on the floor. Because you look like the hero type. I was like, oh, shit. I remember him saying that to this day. I didn't think he could get off a coherent sentence like that. But it's kind of funny. He said, come over here, lay down. Because you look just like the hero type. Well, I did. And when I laid down, he put the rifle right behind my neck. I felt it on my neck. Now, I was a track runner in high school, but I was the only man in that store. I wanted to run. But I said to myself, if I get up and run, he is going to start shooting. And at the very least, I'm going to be the one to get shot. So I, something told me to just stay there. Junie, Fat Junie, I love him dearly. And to this day, I love him dearly. And I do not blame him for what he did, because once they kicked that front door open, the next thing I heard was a click. Which meant Junie had locked himself in that walk-in cooler. He saw that gun coming in and he ran right in that walk-in cooler and locked himself in there. And I don't blame him one damn bit. So I'm laying on the floor. The six customers are standing around. One guy is going to shoot him. The other guy is going to stop, shoot him, stop, shoot him, stop. Bottom line was they didn't shoot me. And they ran and left the store. At which point I learned about me. I got up off the floor, asked everybody were they okay, and immediately went right back to the cash register. Because while I had given him all the money in the register and all the change in the register, I didn't give him the money under the register. See, when the cash register got full, I was told to take money out and put it underneath the register until I had a chance to go put it in the safe in the back. They didn't even ask about the safe. So, when everybody was frazzled, checking on each other, I went to the register. And I lifted up. And to my knowledge, no one saw me pull out all the money that was under the register which totaled about $217.
I put that money in my pocket. And I went in the back, claiming stress and needing to throw water on my face. But at the same time, walking into the safe, taking out any money I saw, except for the rolls of quarters. Because I believed they were too big and would show up in my pocket. But I had everything else. I took rolls of dimes. When my boss came back, him and his friends, they felt like assholes. And the customers told them I was a hero. By this time, Fat Junior had come out the cooler and he was singing my praises at the same time. My boss looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, did they take your money too? And having taken my money home at lunchtime and put it in my shoebox, I looked him dead in the face and I said, yes, they did. So he repaid me my $135 for that day. $135 plus $237, I had uh, $362, $372 that I could have died for, but I didn't. And I kept asking myself where that calm came from to do what I did. I knew a lot of it was anger because I was pissed that it happened. And I was pissed that I had to be there. But I was so glad nobody got hurt, but I was still pissed. And I wanted something for it. And that night, in the apartment I shared with one of my sisters, I remember having a 40-ounce Old English 800 with about three joints of marijuana, smoking and drinking and scared as shit for what had taken place that day. That was July 5th, 1977. That was the last day I ever worked in that store. I went back to school the next day. And I ended up graduating. I got kicked out of school again for pledging in the same social fellowship. But I stayed there. I got a job in North Carolina. I graduated from that school. And I never went back to Philadelphia on a long-term basis after July 5th, 1977. Have a good day.